welcome to Detour the Podcast. Y'all know what's up. Let's get lost. What is up, y'all? I am back with another episode of Detour the Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you listened to the last two episodes or any of the last episodes in seasons one, two, I want to personally thank you. So this episode is going to be about the job the job force, and how many people might not even realize that their job is causing them to have a mental breakdown. And so I want to start with my job. And I really don't know what I'm going to entitle this episode yet. And I've already made a blog post about it on detoursthepodcast.com. But um, I don't know what I'm going to entitle it. So we'll see. But um, yeah, so I wanted to start from the top. And I feel like I've talked about this some before. And of course, I've talked about this in my book, Sitting on Laps. And, you know, Sitting on Laps, like people hear the name sometimes and they're like, what the heck? But yeah, Sitting on Laps, that's the book title. And that's exactly what um, I wanted to name it because I, you know, I realized the pattern. So, I mean, this is basically the book is like a self-help book and it's telling my story with the hopes that it will help other young girls in similar situations, help them, you know, prevent some of the issues that I went through and basically detours that I went through. I think I've, I've definitely said this before in a previous episode, but yeah, sitting on laps, sitting on laps is exactly what it means, sitting on laps, so you know, you can, you know, you can probably deduce what that means. But yeah, basically it starts with, I sat on a man's lap, which led to um, molestation and just how that cycle, you know, paved the way for many issues in my life. And now that's something I've gotten over and, you know, all that whoop-de-whoop. And that was the purpose of me writing that book. But I'm saying all that to start at the beginning. And now I'm here at where I want to start at, which is high school. So, um, you know, all throughout school, we were told, go to school for what you love. Go to school for what you love. And go to, you know, by school, I mean college. Go to college for what you love. You know, you go to college for what you love. And we were also told, like, if you ever want to get out of your parents' house and get a good job, you have to go to college. Not to mention, my brother and sister went to college, you know. So it wasn't a thing where I was ever like, I'm not going to go to college. It really wasn't a real secure option. I knew I wanted to go to college because I didn't want to be that one who didn't go to college, you know. So um, I was initially going to go to FAMU. I applied for the University of Georgia and got deferred. And then I applied for FAMU, got accepted. University of West Georgia, I applied for, got accepted. I really didn't apply for any school that I wasn't going to go to like so how some people apply for like 60 schools I wasn't going to do that and I wasn't really too keen on going out of state but at the time when I was about to graduate I called myself trying to get far away from my baby daddy trying to be done well you know this guy who later became my baby daddy but I was trying to be done with him you know what I'm saying so I was trying to get away from that 
So I was going to go to FAMU. The pictures look good. You know, in hindsight, I kind of wish I would have went to an HBCU. But anyway, I was going to go to FAMU. And then we went, my mom drove us down all the way to Florida. And um, she, you know, um, we paid the fee for the orientation. And you're supposed to get a room for the weekend and lunch and all this stuff. And we drove down there and, you know, so the parents were in the meeting with us at first. And then um, and then they told the parents they were dismissed and they went somewhere to, like, have lunch or something. And then when it was only kids in the room, the administrator, which was a grown lady, she was like, okay, well, now that your parents are gone, you guys can go party. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> go party? I don't know nobody down here. Who the hell am I going to party with? But I actually did meet some cool people down there. I didn't party, but just, you know, networking and stuff like that. I did actually meet some people and I did actually add them on Facebook with the intention of going to FAMU. But I didn't go to FAMU because strike one was the whole lady saying, now y'all can party. Strike two was I got to the dorm room that I was supposed to be sleeping in and they give you a letter for the rooms like A, B, C, D. And so I think I had like C or D and one of those was actually the bathroom. And I feel like they overbooked these rooms with the intention that the kids would not even be sleeping in the room because they would be partying all night. I'm like, what the fuck? So I basically found my mom and I was like, yeah, um, I'm not going here. (laughs) And so we drove back to Georgia. She didn't say nothing. She didn't say, what the hell? She didn't say a word. She said, okay. (laughs) And we drove back to Georgia. And um, the next thing, okay, so I was going to go to school for journalism because everybody knows I'm a writer. I've been a poet for as long as I can remember. I write poetry. I mean, I say I'm a writer. I'm more of a writer than a reader, though. So that's why I write poetry opposed to like novels, <laughs> because if I get bored, I'm out. Holla. <laughs> so I made sure my book wasn't too long or too short because I'm not trying to read all that either. And so and I, but I also think my book is kind of interesting, too. It's like it's juicy. One person told me they read it in one night. I was like, that's embarrassing. You know, my whole life. In one whole night. Okay. So, um, but I appreciate her support for that. So, <laughs> I wanted to be a journalist. I had an option. Like, I, my first career, career that I ever wanted to do was be a teacher. And then when I was going to school in Atlanta Public Schools, there was an issue with a bus driver. I specifically remember this. There was an issue with a bus driver where... This girl said the bus driver, which was a woman, touched her inappropriately, like sexually. And then it came out that the girl lied. And so I remember being with a group of kids and somebody said, why are you lying on that bus driver? And she, the girl was like, and so and so what? And I was like, oh, hell no, nah. I can't be no teacher and have somebody lying on me. And I have to go to the clink clink until they figure out that it was a lie. No, thank you. And so I wasn't a teacher. <laughs> I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. Um, but, you know, it was still like one of the things I it was on the list. 
The next thing I wanted to do was be a detective because I knew that I was really good at detective type shit. Okay, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But yes, I was going to be a detective. Then this really high profile case involving a little girl came out. I'm not going to say what case it was, but basically like the mother got away with you. Well, I don't want to say got away with, but the mother wasn't charged with anything. And, you know, I said, oh, no, oh, no can't do that. (laughs) So then, um, so basically I was back at journalism, like being a journalist, like not being on the television as a journalist, but actually writing articles. But right before I graduated, so I graduated a year early in 2012. And right before I graduated in that, right before I graduated in 2012, um, maybe the year before, it was a known fact that the Um, There was some type of recession, um, housing crisis, and also a lot of journalists was being let go. And they definitely were not hiring new journalists. And basically that field was going down because the rise of social media was occurring. And by the rise of social media, we mean like people blogging and all this stuff. People who don't have degrees, you know, but they have a high following. And so on social media, so... That was taken away from people who went to college for that, where they were actually, you know, they would rather, you know, do it the social media way and have people who have a known following. So, of course, that has changed now where there are journalists getting hired and all that stuff. But it's like things have changed. So basically go to school for what you love. I love journalism. I wanted to do that. You know, I took many I took journalism classes and the teacher like. The teacher was like. (laughs) oh, wow, you have the best work in this class. Can I put this in our newspaper? I'm like, yeah. Then he's like, well, can you be a, can you join the newspaper? Yes. Can you be an editor? Yes. But then the last time he asked me to be an editor, I was pregnant. So um, I ended up not being an editor. And then I graduated and he actually retired. But just having him say like, your your article you wrote was great. And it's funny because this girl was in the classroom. She didn't know me. But she just knew that I was the sister of her friend's competition. So basically my sister was dating her friends, her best friend's friend. So basically it was like her best friend was kind of in love with my sister's then boyfriend, which is now her husband. But me and her had the same class, which I don't know why, because she should have been years ahead of me unless she came back to get that degree. But anyway, I don't know why we were in that class together. But when he said that, for some, she was sitting like parallel to me and I could see her. She like kind of rolling her eyes. And by this time, I'm like pregnant as fuck. <laughs> and so um, it's like 2011 and she like kind of like rolling her eyes. I'm like, baby, don't hate the player, hate the game. OK, don't hate the player. Take notes. But really, that article was. It was just a real from the heart type of article. They said, he said, write an article about a friend that you had that you wish you, friend that you had that you wish I was still friends and something like that. And that's what I did. <laughs> so anyways, um, what's next? And I talked about that whole article in a previous episode about this guy I went to high school with name, um, name, uh, what's his, I don't know if I named him, but. Now, tonight, while I'm recording this, I don't care. His name is Chris. It's a common name. Whatever. So, um, 
Where are we now? We're in 2011, 2012, graduated. Okay, yes, I can't get a job. I don't have a job. But I had this kid, and I love my little baby. And for a while, I was able to pay for his daycare and stuff. My mom and sister helped me watch him, too, a lot. And I had him in daycare, and I was paying for daycare with my um, refunds from school. And um, that's how I paid for all his clothes and stuff like that. But, of course, when the refund money was done, it was done. And so my mom was like, no, you need a job. And I was like, well, I'd rather go back to school for one more semester and get a teaching degree. Because because journalism and teaching, they coincide with a lot of the classes. I was like, all I would need is one more semester. And then I would have to do six weeks of student teaching. And that's it. That's it. And basically, I mean, we do have to test. But still. And she was like, oh, no, you need a job. You need a job. So, um, she told me that she drove past this place and saw they had a sign saying they were hiring. And so I applied and I got an entry level position. And then within four months, I was promoted to a corporate position. And the the one thing I regret, and I talked to my therapist just today, I talked to my therapist and she said, okay, really, it was yesterday. And I talked to my therapist and she was like, well, you can't be out here with all these shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Whatever happened, happened. But like, I was about to quit. They called me for an interview right when I was about to quit. (laughs) And I was like, man, I was just about to quit and go back to school regardless of and make my mama mad I was really about to do that and say oh well but they called me back and said that I had this interview and I ended up getting the job and that was that and you know I got it ironically the day I started was my mother's birthday in 2012 and so she was like oh that's a great birthday gift I was like okay I mean I was excited of course you know you got a job after you have applied for so many jobs Yes, I was excited. And so I'm thinking it's going to be this big old pay increase. And it wasn't. It was $13 an hour. I was like, what the fuck? But I was like, okay, well, I guess it's something. It's better than minimum wage. Um, And then I um, started the job. Then I was like, okay, well, what time am I going to need to come in every day? He's like five in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck? Five o'clock in the morning. Okay, I guess. So that was ended up having to leave my son early in the morning, every morning. And that was not easy. I didn't want to do it, but I did. And I did that for a few years. And then I moved to the 530. Then I moved to the six o'clock. But before all that, like just having to finagle all the times that daycare and schools are closed and, you know, just having to always have somebody to watch your kid all the time. And then on top of that, we have where I'm working every single day, but I still don't have enough money. I wasn't getting food stamps because they said $13 an hour was too high. I wasn't getting any type of assistance. I had a car note, which was about $350. I moved into an apartment over in a place called Lithia Springs. It was called Broderick Hill Apartments. Very nice apartments. The only thing that was wrong with the apartments was that when they were first built, they didn't put the siding. 
they didn't put something underneath the siding. It's like this little extra layer and basically like ants would come in but not a lot like you would just see like one ant and so while we were still living there i live we lived there for four years so towards the end they took off all the siding and put that layer in there and then you know you didn't have any more ants so but that was just the one bedroom and it was their biggest one bedroom it had a huge living room and um, a huge bathroom and it was it was a nice place but by the time it was time for my son to go to kindergarten, I wanted him to go to the kindergarten that was close to my job because I live like 45 minutes away from my job. That's where we, how far would we live? And so he's just a little baby. And I'm like, how am I going to send him to the school 45 minutes away? And he's like five. That's crazy. So I found out about this school called Kennesaw Charter. It's a charter school. It's closed now. But I found out about this school, Kennesaw Charter, and it was like five minutes basically from my job. And But you had to live in the county, which was Cobb County. So, But also, you had to enter your child in a lottery to see if you would even get in the school. So I entered him in that lottery, and he got in. So then we had to move to the county. <laughs> so then I moved into the county of um, Cobb County, and we got an apartment in Austell. So while we were over here at Austell, now that apartment had a slew of problems, but we stayed there for three years. <sighs> that apartment had a whole bunch of issues, but it wasn't as nice as the um, Broader Hills and Lithia Springs. And I'm trying to think of what was the name of those apartments in Austell. I can't remember the name of them, but they were off of Hostel Road on a side street. One of my coworkers had lived there, and we lived there at the same time at one point. But, you know, it was fine. It was, you know, we didn't have any major, major, major issues there. So, and the important thing is it was in the county, and it was also two bedrooms. But, of course, the rent was higher, um, and I was living extremely paycheck to paycheck, didn't have enough money for groceries, like, period, this time. Definitely never had enough money to get my hair done, nails done, shoes, clothes, nothing. I was literally strapped for cash. And it's like I'm going to work every single day. And on top of that, I'm stressed out at work. And, like, for the first three years of me working there, I never called in because, you know, it was clear to me that they didn't, of course, don't want you to call in, but also... They don't put in your time when you call in. So me missing a day of work and having to either beg somebody to put in time or if they don't put in the time, if I don't beg them, missing one day would drastically change my paycheck. And that wouldn't be good. Like I need all the pennies. I need every last one of them. So that was that. So between 2013, 2014, so the first Big thing that happened at the job that started to make my mental health dwindle was 2014. We had an active shooter at the job and I pulled up at about 550 something in the morning and it was sprinkling a little bit. And then I saw people like running towards the outside. I was like, it was just like little trinkets of people. It wasn't a lot of people. And so and this is a big warehouse, corporate warehouse. So I was like, it was just a little bit of people at first. I was like. Why are they running? It's not even raining that hard. It's like they get on my nerves, always being dramatic and shit. And so, oh, but before that, I pulled up 
first thing I said I saw was the shooter's. What I later later learned was the shooter's car. It was parked like very right in the front, and I was like, "Oh, somebody must have parked right there to go run in and clock in." It ended up being the shooter's car. And so um, I saw people running, and I was like, what the hell? So I'm still walking towards the door like, la, la, la. And so I'm walking towards the door, and one of the guys who I used to work with when I first started working there, he was like out of breath, and he's like, you can't go in there. I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, they shooting. I was like, they shooting? So I'm still standing there like, huh? And so he kind of leaves me right there, goes and get in his car and get the hell on. But I'm still standing there like, okay, somebody's in here shooting. So I guess the police will come and get the person, bring them out, and we will go in here to work. Because, again, I'm just thinking about my hours and my money that I need. So I'm like, okay, they're going to just go in here, get the guy, and we'll just go in here and go back to work. That's not what happened. By the time I decided that I might need to leave, the police had blocked off the parking lot. No cars let it out. We can't leave and go anywhere. We're stranded in the parking lot, standing up for hours on end. We're standing in the middle of the street. We're standing in the parking lot. Um, we're, stand- we're over at the airport that was across the street. And then we turned around and got bussed across the road, the main road, to the Sparker Skating Rink. And we stood there for hours until, I guess, the manager got word that the employees from this company were in his parking lot. And so he came, opened up the sparkles, gave everybody pizza and stuff like that, and somewhere to sit the fuck down, which was nice. I mean, for people who, you know, didn't leave to go, like, you know, didn't have any type of issue. So, but then I remember while they're giving pizza and they put pizza, tons of pizza for everybody it wasn't like it was a shortage of anything so I was like okay well I guess I'll go get a slice of pizza since you know I'm waiting on them to let me get my vehicle and so because I need to go get my child so and I couldn't just like go get him because he was a toddler and he needed a car seat because one of my managers who wasn't even there that morning she came in late and she was like do you want me to drive you home to get your son get your son or anything I was like no, because <laughs> I'm like, don't try to use me to make it look like you've been over here helping people. And also, no, he needs a car seat. The fuck? So um, I went up there to get some pizza. I was only going to get like a slice because, I mean, it's Sparkles Pizza. And um, while I'm walking up there, one of the, one of these drivers who work at the job, he was like, I don't even know the guy. And he clearly didn't know me because if he did, he would have, you know, washed his mouth. But anyway, I'm walking up there. He's already sitting down eating. I'm walking up there and he's like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, how lame, first of all. But then the guy sitting across from him, which later this guy who I did know, he was also a driver and later became one of my coworkers' boyfriend or whatever. He was like... He gestured to him like, no, don't do that. <laughs> because, I mean, and I didn't even, I acted like I didn't hear it. Because, first of all, that's lame. Second of all, you acting like you ain't never had no pizza before. <laughs> I'm like, you acting like this, the last pizza in the world. And you ain't going to never get no pizza again. Like, really? I mean, I can't get a slice of pizza. Come on now. So, anyways, 
So, yeah, that's the first thing that happened. So then we go into work the next day. Oh, they finally let us get our car later that night around 5 p.m. After just this whole long ass day. And so the next day we go in, we got bullets on the ground. We got blood on the ground, dust, everything. And so then we got customers calling like, where's my package? And we got to let them know that if their package was on that trailer, then your their package has to be destroyed. I mean, it was just crazy. And so we dealt with that for a while. And that's when I first started noticing like my little like issues so then that same year in 2014 we also had the what they call like all this snow and ice and ice in georgia where the whole city was shut down for a few days people were stuck on the expressway it took everybody at least at least about eight hours to get home that's the main number i kept hearing for a lot of people including myself about eight hours to get home for a drive that would normally take 30 to 45 minutes so it was snowing and initially our manager, we was trying to leave, but then our manager wouldn't let us leave and said, no, y'all just need to stay here. And so then when it turned out, we were seeing that people were stuck and, you know, traffic was so bad trying to get home. Our manager was like, oh yeah, y'all can just spend the night. That way y'all can just be here the next day to work. And we were like, what the hell? Hell no. So we left, but it got to a point where this guy even went upstairs, took a tray of hot dogs that was in the fridge because they barbecued the day before for dock workers, took a tray that was in the fridge, went upstairs and warmed them up in the oven, and then came and plopped the tray down like, there are some food if y'all need, y'all can stay here. We don't have beds. We don't have nothing like that showers nothing like that there so I'm like what the hell so he ended up staying with some other managers and then one employee I know did stay and he said he was shocked by day two or three stuck at the job because he um he was shocked that they didn't feed him and I was like I don't know why you were shocked like you should have went home but he said he didn't have any heat in his car so I get it. It was cold. So I get it. I get it. But I'm like, dude, you should have went home. So, but, and then we had another employee. He lived like three miles away. He said he went home and he walked to work every day so he would get all his hours. He walked the three miles so he'd get his hours. I'm like, oh, okay. And so um, after that, after that, time it snowed each and every time it snowed or there was a report that it would snow and it would be bad in Georgia our managers made a plan that the head manager made a plan that if he made it to work nobody would get paid because if he could make it to work everybody could make it to work but he didn't he made a plan for his plan was he's not gonna leave so if there is a report of snow his plan was to just spend the night away from his family. That way he's there and he doesn't have to pay employees for the next day. So, yeah. So have there been times where I've driven in the snow and ice sliding on expressways and whatnot? I mean, on bridges and whatnot, trying to get to work so that I wouldn't miss out on money? Yes. Okay. Does that take a toll on your mental health? Yes. Um, and for me, I think like 
after a while, it's like, why am I here? You know, why am I here? Because I'm getting this idea that I'm feeling like less than and unworthy of a good paying job because this job isn't paying me well. They're paying me more than a regular job, but I'm still very much struggling. And I'm depressed because of that struggle. And so then I'm like, okay, well, a lot of these jobs I'm applying for, they don't care about my bachelor's degree. And so it's like, well, you should get a master's degree. That'll make you more, you know, make you more of a a win, more of a hireable candidate if you get a master's degree. So in 2015, I enrolled to get a master's degree. I got an MBA with a concentration in project management. And I felt like that would open me up to a big realm of different jobs. But still, with that degree, nothing came through, not even internally. Because I know that I've applied for stuff internally. And my manager was like, oh, no, y'all can't have her because we need her to do these two and three job duties. So basically, my job is one job. And they turn my one job, they turn three jobs into one job under me. Something that would normally be done by three different people, they put all the tasks under me. Another another thing that definitely has messed with my psyche because I just was overworked. And being that I'm the black, the first black office administrator in the last, let's say, 15 years, and I'm the only one that has three different like three whole different positions and roles put under me. The first office administrator that I know of, she told me that she was so bored. She's white, basically. She's a passing white person. She is actually Hispanic, but you wouldn't know that unless you knew her name. And so she told me that she was so bored. And she's also, she got hired because she's friends with the main manager. But she told me that she was so bored that she went to them and told them that she doesn't want to do this job anymore. Because she's so bored and she doesn't have any tasks. She doesn't have any duties other than answering the phone. What did they do? They gave her a promotion to another role and they gave her where she would have something to do. Something, just like one thing, which was driver onboarding. So then the next person after me, she had two jobs. Her job was she decorated like the engagement boards for employees. And she also answered phones those were her two jobs under me all of a sudden I have to do our missing packages office management answer the phones um driver onboarding um data analysis and let's see what else invoicing billing uh let's see what else meetings scheduling um let's see what else we I had to do the boards um, for driver, for engagement. Um, let's see what else and anything else they could think of for me to do different projects that they would have me do on top of everything else. And so I was like, what the fuck? So I'm already stressed out of my mind. And so then this group of old white ladies, they had a plan because the same first office administrator I told you about me and her actually got into it. And she's friends with the head manager. So she said she wanted help with the driver onboarding because they needed a certain number of drivers in to deliver packages. 
So she had an idea where she was going to get one lady, old white lady, to help her with the driver onboarding instead of them hiring a temp that will help like they do every year. They decided, oh, we're going to save even more money because we're already saving money on the two positions that DQ is doing. But we're going to save even more money by not hiring any temps to help with the driver onboarding. We're just going to use another person that already works here. And guess where they told, guess who they put the duties on? This duty included going to the dock, though, and processing like a 100 on average, packages that were headed to Canada. Guess what they gave that to? They gave it to me. On top of everything else I had to do. They gave that to me to do. And it was a big old fight between me and these three um, old white ladies. They're like, yeah, we're going to give it to her. Let her do it. Um, She can do it. And it was like this big old fight because I'm like, what the fuck? Why would I do that? I'm office administrator. I don't I don't shouldn't be doing that. I have all these other things to do. Find somebody else and management back these white women up against me. Three of them. So that that's another thing. And then got past that. And that's when I stopped talking to everybody at work because I was like really trying to leave. And so I started taking all these exams to become a teacher now. And so I did teach briefly in 2020 online and um, it wasn't for a county that I felt like I could do well in. And the pay was the pay. I was only part time. and I say teaching because I was still doing teaching stuff, but it was really just a paraprofessional and the pay was atrocious. So I quit because <laughs> I was doing that on top of my main job. And so I was like, I'm not going to quit my main job to get paid $600 a month. Like the check I got, the two checks I got from them, it was $600 a month to be a paraprofessional. And at my current job, I was making over $600 a week, you know, after taxes and everything else. So I'm like, what the fuck? Why would I? No, I'm out of here. I'm like, I can't quit my main job for this job unless I'm just doing this for fun. <laughs> And even still, like, what? And so, let's see. So I did that and took all the exams, and I was thinking about teaching, but the paraprofessional really put a bad taste in my mouth. But that was just with a different county. It was a Clayton County, so it put a bad taste in my mouth. But, you know, so I might revisit that. Might not. Probably won't. But, okay, so I did that um, while I was doing my main job, and that was fine. So... What's the next thing that happened after that? So then just different things like the same white coworker, the old white lady who worked, who did some tasks on the docks. She, she is just like basically prejudiced because her son-in-law is one of the other managers and she should have never even got that job if you ask me, but um, her son-in-law is one of the other managers and she just is prejudiced. Every time the phone rings in the office, she looking at me like, why the fuck are you looking at me? You answer the damn phone. Like, why are you looking at me? If you hear the phone, pick it up. And so, and then they hired another girl also can't multitask. I'm like, why are y'all hiring these people who can't work? 
who can't multitask. Like, why you can't answer the phone and do what you're doing? Why you can't do this and that? Like, that is crazy. Just could not multitask, but they want me to do all this different stuff. And so that stuff will eat at you. Like, it will eat at your brain. Like, it will really make you upset. And so... Then we have like all this stuff that happened in the last two years and the assistant senior manager, he was like, well, you guys should just be happy that you have a job. I'm like, well, if we didn't have a job, maybe we could go get an unemployment line and get $1,200 a month like the rest of these people or $1,200 a week. I think that's what they said some people were getting. So it's like, why would you tell people that who are coming to work every single day with everything going on? So it's just a whole bunch of stuff in my brain. Just, just, I'm like, these jobs do not care about you. And so it's just different, so much different stuff that happened there that created a hostile work environment that created within me a feeling of low self-worth and also the imposter syndrome. And so I'm just like, yo, like, I can't do this. Like, I should, you know, that's one good thing that people are doing now, the people coming in in the work field now. People are like, if you don't like a job, quit. And I agree, like, if you can quit, Quit, quit before you start making um, plans with the money, like quit before you get the apartment, quit before you get the car, because that way you don't have anything to lose. So like if I had quit after I had already got this car, like, okay, a car, I guess it's going to get repo unless I can quickly find a job. Well, the fear was that I had already been looking for a job for several months before I got hired for that job. So. It was like, it's a big gamble. And when you have this kid and you got somebody in your ear telling you you need to work. And also at the same time, I want to be, I want it to be, I want to be autonomous as a mother away from my family in order to raise my son the way I saw fit. And so, because I already told you guys, like in 20, at the end of 2019, I ended up moving back home because I was so stressed beyond to be on I was that's when my panic attack started like I was stressed beyond what I could ever imagine and my mom was like move back home move back home and I was just like yo I really don't want to move back home because that was all so iffy and so I had no other choice but to move back home or get I was going to eventually get evicted and so I because if you're late on your rent three times you get evicted anyway so I think I was already late on my rent twice and really the same day I moved out the lady it was an older black lady beneath underneath me who was like she's moving out she actually got evicted because they told her she was late three times on her rent so we're over here moving out the same weekend which was horrible too I'm like you in my way girl but um yeah and not to mention I moved out of my whole apartment by myself like normally my brother would help me, but he had to work. But so I packed everything into my U-Haul. But when as soon as he, my brother got off work, he came over to my mom's house and unloaded the whole U-Haul while I'm upstairs, knocked out sleep. Like, <gasps> like I didn't even know. I woke up the next morning. I'm like, who did this? She's like, my mama like, you know, your brother did that. <laughs> I was like, man, my motherfucking brother is a G. So, but yeah, and so I moved all the stuff out of my apartment, beds, washer, dryer, 
so much stuff I threw away though, because I had so much stuff. I mean, we had been living on our own for seven years, so I had so much stuff. So I threw away a lot of brand new stuff. I didn't throw it away. I left it out by the trash. And by the time I left the apartment complex, all that stuff had been picked up. So I hope it went to good homes, but I, it was a lot of high end expensive stuff that I left out there for people to get because at the same time, I'm moving out. I'm going through some kind of breakdown because like I had been celibate for a couple of years from 2017 to 2019 because I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do for my career. I was so stressed out and I felt like I needed to focus. And I felt like a part of me not being able to focus was my baby daddy <laughs> because I was like, sleeping with you is not helping me. Um, you're not helping me. You're not helping me financially. And if you were helping me financially, I probably would be in a better situation. And so he just wasn't helping me. And I'm like, why are you coming over here eating my groceries and stuff like that that I need for me and my child that I budget for? And you're not putting money into this. And so I decided to stop fucking him. And also he had become you know, just too demanding of the pussy. You know what I'm saying? Like he thought it was, he thought it was his. And I'm like, bro, this is, this is mine. (laughs) It's not yours. If I said I I don't want to give it up, then that's what I mean. I don't want to give it up. And so he would pop up over my place and I wouldn't open the door. He would pop up over my place and be surprised when I would like, and he'd be texting me like, you don't want to sleep with me. And the answer was no. Like every time we were when we were sleeping together prior to me being celibate, um, I was like, no, because every time we do it's the Sahara Desert because I don't want you right there. I don't want you right now. I'm depressed. I'm going through stuff. I'm financially stressed. I don't want to have sex. The Vajayjay doesn't want to have sex. And so I was celibate for a couple of years probably like a year and a half before I figured out what I wanted to do, which was write my book, start my nonprofit, and also teach all this in 2019. So I figured all this out. I had a plan. And that's when I was like, man, I have this plan, but I know what I want to do. And I'm making moves to do it, but I am so lonely. And I really, you know, I really want companionship. And so the first person I thought of was, of course, my baby daddy. And so, but I didn't like call him and say this. I was just thinking like, man, I'm lonely. I really want somebody to be with and be happy. And I do love him, you know? And so before I could call him, he actually called me. And he actually like, and I've talked about this in the past, but he actually said words that I've only said in a prayer to me. And so I'm not going to say, I don't know it verbatim because this was back in 2019, but it was just like, you know, I'm ready to do right by you guys. You know, I love you. I love my, I love my son. I love you. I want to do right by you. You know, you know, if you need to put me on child support, go ahead and put me on the child support. This is where I work. This is the address. So he's like doing things that somebody who wasn't genuine wouldn't do. He's like, this is where I work. This is the address. Put me on child support. I want to be with you. I don't give a fuck about nothing else. You know, I'm ready to show you that I'm going to do right by y'all. And I was like, okay, all right. And so um, 
that was right before I had to move out. And I told him, because it came out of nowhere, and I was kind of shocked. And so I told him, I said, you know, well, let me, let's think about it for a while. Because in the past, like, you know, he's the type to say stuff and don't follow through. But this time it seemed very, very, very genuine. Like, very genuine. He ain't never said, you know, put me on child support, whatever the fuck I got to do, I'm ready to do. It ain't never. And anybody can say put me on child support, but you're going to give me the job and the address? And it was legit because I ended up using it. <laughs> and so, um, like, two weeks had gone by, and I said, you know, let's think about it. Let's, you know, let's figure it out. Two weeks went by, and I called him to see what was up. And he's like, nothing. I'm coming back in town this day, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so then, out of nowhere, he just says, have you been on my Facebook page? And I'm like, no, I haven't been on your Facebook page. We weren't even friends on Facebook. So I was like, no, I haven't been to your Facebook page. And then he's like, oh, so now, of course, I go to the Facebook page and I see basically, long story short, if you want to hear about this, you got to go back some episodes in season one. But long story short, he was in a relationship with somebody else. So within the time he spoke to me in the two weeks, he had met somebody else. And his sister filled in that question mark for me and said that, they met when she stopped at a gas station at, they were on the way to Six Flags, the kids and the sister and him, they were on the way to Six Flags and they apparently, he, they met at a gas station, getting some beer, getting some beer at a gas station, they met. <laughs> and I guess they exchanged, I don't know what happened after that, but basically that's where they met. None, nothing else that happens with them is my, happened with them is my business. And so I don't care. But yeah, so they met. And so then all of a sudden he like wants nothing to do with me. And he just is cussing me out and telling me that I don't matter. And I, you know, we later find out that it was drug related. He was like, I don't matter. The kids don't matter. Nothing matter except for this girl. His family didn't matter. The kids didn't matter. Nothing else mattered except for this girl he had just met. And so, like I said, we later found out it was drug related. But again, that's not my business. But like I was very upset and hurt by this because I had built a wall up against him and I had let it come down. And within those two weeks, I had tore that wall down to open myself up back to him. And this is what happened. And so that by that time, I'm like, why would, you know, why would something why would he be able to repeat a prayer for me, a prayer that I said privately? Why would he be able to repeat that back to me? I mean, he didn't repeat it back to me like, this is what you said. He repeated it back to me like, this is what I'm going to do. And this is something I prayed for in the past. And so I'm just like, wow, how would that even happen? But, you know, my aunt gave me some theories, which was, you know, when you pray, you know, you know, different things hear you. And so it was probably just a a distraction from what I needed to be doing. And boy, did it distract me. Like I was, I had some type of breakdown because I was stressed out from my job, stressed out not being able to pay my rent. Um, because really like a different child support order is like not even $300. So I'm like the difference that would make a month getting that extra funds from child support would be the difference between me being able to keep this apartment or not. 
Because if you have this $300, $300 might not seem like a lot, but if you're short $300 on your rent, that's a lot. And so um, that will be the difference between me being able to stay afloat as far as keeping this apartment and not being able to keep this apartment. And so um, I even said, you know, maybe we should just move in together. And so that's what happened with that. And so I had some type of breakdown. And so that's really how I ended up just throwing stuff away, just throwing stuff away like that I normally might have kept. But because it was such a thing where I had to go so fast, I was like, okay, everything got to get thrown away. Everything's out. Everything's out. And so, yeah, I cleaned that entire apartment by myself, steamed the uh, carpet, and it was looking it was looking great when we left. And how do I know it was looking great? Because we got our, you know, what was left of our deposit back. They say you get your whole deposit, but, you know, they actually took out fees for the water and some other shit. So, but yeah, so, um, so that was 2019. Everybody know what happened in, <laughs> everybody know what happened in 2019. I met California. By the time we in 2020, you know who y'all know, y'all know who came into play. And that was big. That was big because I felt like he was, he came just for me. But hey, we're not getting into all that. But yeah, it just started this whole mental breakdown. And of course, everything that transpired with all that did not help the next breakdown that happened. But I'm trying, I got to go back though. When I moved in with my mom, like I didn't realize how much my son would grow during that time from age eight to 10. So by the time he turned 10, we had already been approved for. a rental home, a house, but you know, we were still there, but from eight to 10, he changed so much. He grew so much and he saw a lot of stuff that happened in that house that I didn't want him to see. It's a good thing that he was there because, you know, they were, my mom was working remote and he was remote from school. And so it was a good thing, but also it was bad. in the fact that I wasn't able to really raise him like I wanted to during these, um, like, very, you know, pivotal times because I was there. I wasn't able to raise him like I wanted to. And I was also kind of absent mentally because I was still stressed out about work, didn't want to be there. And also because of all the office politics and ridiculousness I saw every single day and feeling like I have to be here because I have to have this money, but also I don't want to be here. And also like, what happened if I just quit? But also I can't quit because I can't stay at my mom's house forever because this house wasn't set up to be comfortable for someone else. And so it's like, you know, it was just this battle. And so... Um, yeah, it's just a breakdown that happened. And I think it all started for real at my job. Like this, all these issues started at my job because, and my therapist is like a lot of the things I do with like my OCD and germophobia and, um, anxiety is a control thing. And it's like, if you can't control this, then you, you'll, ugh, you'll control that. If you can't control this, you'll control that. And I think that's true. I can't control anything that happens at my job. The management is always looking over your shoulder, gossiping, telling you what to do. You're always in fear of getting in trouble, losing your job. And so you can't control any of that. So you control other things. You control the messed up part of your brain that's making you overthink and have anxiety and panic attacks and, um, you know, low self-worth and OCD. And you can't control none of that stuff, but you, that's what you can control. And so that just clicked for me. So 
that is what happened. And I just think it's important that you should leave a job the first time. But also, I think it's important for families to never push your young kids out the house. I mean, it's quite funny to me that, like, the kids that are actually out working, they get kicked out the house. But the kids that are, like... And I say kids, like, because they're somebody's kid, but, you know, they're young adults. The young adults that are, like, drinking and smoking, not trying to do much, they still be at home, (laughs) chilling. And so it's like, what the heck? But, you know, my plan, my goal and my prayer is to be able to have a big house, that big, comfortable house that is comfortable enough for my children to be able to come home and live comfortably until they're ready on their own to move out comfortably, not forcibly, not uncomfortably, but to move home, to be comfortable at home. Because I know that I didn't figure out what I wanted to do for real until the age of about 27. I thought I knew what I wanted to do. But I didn't really figure out for real, for real until 27. And I'm like, as long as my kid is doing what they're supposed to do, they went to college. They're, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. They go to work every day. I got no problem. Or they have plans. So let's say, for instance, they don't have a job or they have a plan and they're making steps towards that plan. As long as that is happening, they can stay home. And as long as, you know, they're being like a regular parent and child relationship yes you can come home and be comfortable and not have to you know walk on eggshells you you're fine so that's my hope and prayer but but you know things happen and so we shall see but I mean, that should be everybody's goal, though, really, just to be able to help your offspring by not making them go out and get themselves in a mound of debt. Because, you know, you don't want that to happen because all you're doing, all they're doing is going in a circle and trying to reach this finish line that they're never going to reach. So, yeah. I just wanted to talk about that because I'm at a pivotal point where I have to make a decision and I'm like, I can't let this decision pass me by like I let it pass me by 10 years ago. I can't do that again because these years are going by fast and I can't afford it. I can't afford to let that happen. So, yes. So that is the episode on these jobs and how they will mess up your mental health, especially if you don't have a backup plan or a good support system that will help you without belittling you so that you can figure out what you need to do. And I feel like that's the issue with the black community. Like some parents will let you move back in, but it a won't be comfortable and B it also will come with a lot of um, hostility because there's this belittling factor. They're telling all your business to the whole family. They're just doing the most. And it's like, why are you doing all this? <laughs> and if there's an ins- outsider of the family, which is like a step parent who doesn't like the other 
the child, then that creates another form of hostility where this person might not know that, you know, anyway, we're not getting into all that, but I'm just saying we got to do, we have to do what we can to help the kids and help them not be in debt and just not be jacked up because these jobs do not care about your mental health. They don't care about you know, what you have to go through when you leave the office. They might say they do, but they truly do not. But I'll be back soon. Let's catch up. I am going to get into this update on the data scene. It's a good one. Talk to y'all soon. Peace.